John chapter 6, verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So when Peter makes that statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's hard, it may be, for us to grasp what's being said there. How bold of a statement that is. How powerful of a statement that is. All that was surrounding the twelve and Jesus were, were opposed to Jesus. The, the religious authorities, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the people in the know, they were opposed to Jesus. And as we've seen before, the crowds were coming to Jesus because of some material benefit that they would like. And they're, they're turning back. But you can just imagine these authorities on religious matters. And those who... And Peter has seen those people push back against Jesus and push back against John the Baptist. They've, they've seen this. But then 
Peter comes and he makes that statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed. That's a monumental statement. That, that is like someone rising in the face of authority and saying something completely counter to what they are saying is true. Those authorities were pushing back on Jesus and having nothing to do with Jesus, even to go so far as to call him of being of Satan. They're pushing back. Peter stands and makes that claim. Just a really bold declaration there at the end of this passage. Well, just in the event Peter or any of the other of the twelve would want to get puffed up <laughs> in themselves and said, well, we have chosen you. You, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life and all of those other people, they don't get it. But we do. <laughs> Just so they don't get puffed up. Jesus says, did I not choose you? In other words, don't think too highly of yourself. I chose you. And not only that, one of you is a devil. Whoa. You can imagine how that rocked them back on their heels if they were thinking at all that being puffed up and being, being around Jesus and being the one he was, once he was ministering to, when, when he makes that kind of a statement, yet one of you is a devil. That must have rocked their world, and it surely did. They, they, they could not figure out who that was. Now that's a mysterious thing in itself, isn't it? Jesus said, didn't I pick you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. Now we've been going all the way through chapter 6. And, and, and we, we go through chapter 6 and we meet some perplexing points. <coughs> well, now there's another one. What's Jesus up to? Jesus is picking 12. And one of them's a devil. One of them is going to betray him. Why would he do that? That just once again shows us that the mind of God is greater than the mind of human beings. <laughs> More powerful than human beings. We don't always understand the ways of God, but we can sure see it. We can, we can sure declare it. We can sure believe it. Why would God do that? Well, as the story unfolds, we see, we see some of why. But it is a perplexing thing and another one of the mysteries of God that we're confronted with in chapter 6. Now, all through chapter 6, or really all through the Gospel of John, there's this talk of eternal life. Life. Real life, God's life, eternal life, everlasting life. And we've touched on that before, but it, it, just as a reminder, what's being talked about here is, is a quality of life. It not only concerns eternal life, everlasting life, it's not only the duration of the life, it's the quality of the life. And the great hope is, uh, in Jesus Christ having an infinite duration of the highest quality possible. 
highest quality life given by God. And that eternal life comes to a person the moment of conversion, at the moment of conversion. The moment of genuine belief. At the moment that that heart is changed, it, that's eternal life is there and it's resident. And what we find, one of the mysteries of the scriptures, is that eternal life has a, a, an already and a not yet aspect to it. Theologians have talked about that for centuries. Already that believers taste some of what it is like to be in the kingdom of God. Actually experience what it is like to be in the kingdom of God. So it's already a possession. It's a possession of true believers, but it's not experienced in fullness by any measure until eternity, until the age to come. So there's this already and not yet. Jesus says and comes and tells these people, telling us as well, he has the words. Life is in Jesus. He gives the life. Well, now this whole picture is quite scandalous for the people. We see them moving away from Jesus. In fact, Jesus is intolerable. They're, they're scandalized. Or the ESV, take offense at what he is saying. See, the, the, it's a profound thing, surely, for Jesus to say that life is found in him and no one else. That's a profound thing, for sure. It's a profound thing, a very perplexing thing, very aggravating thing to the Jews for Jesus to claim that he's greater than Moses. Mm -mm. But to say that he has come down from heaven and knows the Father, that is scandalous. See, over the centuries, you may have studied, there have been religious leaders who have claimed to take a ride to heaven, to go to heaven. And then they come back and supposedly report on what they've experienced. But none have said they, can't, they originate there, come down to here, and will go back there. Puts Jesus in a completely different category so he, he says to them what, what about this if I were to uh, ascend to heaven he, he says in verse 61 do you take offense at this in verse 62 then what if you were to see the son of man messianic term the son of man ascending to where he was before oh whoa Talk about getting some people charged up. That really, he's really going against everything that they had in mind. And Jesus continues to do that today. He scandalizes people today. Jesus is intolerable to people today when he, for several reasons. Jesus may, may be a fine moral teacher. Be accepted that way. He may be a the model human being that people could conform their life after. That would be acceptable. He could be a social reformer. 
there's some of that in, in circulation in the news today. Jesus is a social reformer. All these kind of things acceptable, but to say that eternal life can only and exclusively be found in Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Man, Son of God, just explodes the people's minds. Well, these people, these Galileans, are not much different than the people down in Judea. They are willfully rejecting Jesus. They're turning away. You read that. We read that a, a moment ago. They're, they're turning away. And this brings an enormous rebuke from Jesus. It's another perplexing thing, isn't it? <laughs> he says in verse 65, This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. But they're willfully turning away from Jesus and yet he brings a rebuke, a stern, scathing rebuke that Matthew lays out for us. John moves on in the, the account of Jesus in his ministry. But in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, Galilee, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, woe to you Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Remember Capernaum, very central to this section of the, the Gospel of John. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That is scathing. He's talking, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And what about you, Capernaum? When you go to heaven, it'll be more bearable for Sodom. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. It'll be more bearable for them than for you because of the mighty works that were done in you. And you, willfully, you rejected what God had given to you. How what it presented to you. The crowds came and they moved away. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now there are disciples. There's groups of people following Jesus. And then there's the close ones, the twelve. But these are the, 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 the onlookers, the, the, those that turned back. In verse 66 of John 6. That rebuke in Matthew 11, 20 to 24 that must have sent shivers 
down the spine of the people that were in front of Jesus at that time. After what they had seen, they must have been fearful of what they had heard. Well, if they weren't fearful, they would have been angry. They, they would have been scandalized. They would have said something like, we need to put this man to death. We're not going to put up with this any longer, the religious leaders would say. That passage in Matthew 11 is worthy of personal reflection. If you would allow me a little freedom with this passage, let me just say to you what came to my mind as I was looking at this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Hollywood. Woe to you, California. Woe to you, Washington, D.C. Woe to you, all you centers of power. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? For if the mighty work's done, for if all of the publishing houses, all of the books, all of the websites, all of the churches, all of the, the Bible curriculum, all of the seminaries, all of the study Bibles, pick yours, all the women's retreats, all the men's retreats, all of the evangelistic crusades, all of the marriage retreats, all of the religious meetings on Sunday morning or any other time of the week, if all of these mighty works had been done in Sodom, well, it'd be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment. People want to play around with Jesus as a social reformer. People want to play around with Jesus as a model human being. Want to play around with a nice rabbi, with a nice, as him being a wise teacher. All of those things are good to think about. But what is not thought about is the judgment of God that's coming on this land that you live in and that I live in. Because why? All of the mighty works. What do you think, what do you think has been going on in this country for a hundred years? Makes a person just shake when they come to a passage like that. And they think, oh yeah, that might have, that might have a little application. Those people didn't have all of those curriculums. Those people didn't have all those study Bibles. All those people didn't have the apostolic language. In any language you want, most any language you want. 
So, we've got a word in verse 16. This is a hard saying. It's a hard saying. We talked about that last week. This is a hard saying. That word is worthy to pause over. It means, it means rough. It means harsh. It means difficult. It means stern. It means offensive. It means intolerable. Hard to accept. In fact, on down in verse, uh, that's in that verse word is found in verse 60, but in verse 61, do you take offense? That word in the original is where we get the word scandalized. Are you scandalized because what I am saying? Or as the ESV says, do you take offense at this? Yeah, they, they did take offense at this. He, he knew what they were thinking. Well, these people were turning away because the true word was intolerable. The true word. This is what they really didn't like. On top of what I've already said, about Jesus coming from heaven, Jesus being the one where eternal life can be found. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, human nature, is no help at all. They don't like that. The flesh is no help at all. They didn't like it then. People don't like it today. Because we all have our personal preferences. We all have our life experiences that say no to that. That say the flesh in my relationship with God, in your relationship with God, in that spark, in that instant, in that regeneration, in that conversion, in that being born again, in that moment, your flesh is no help at all. People don't like that. People do not like that because we have preconceived notions about what is right, what is just, and not only that, we have religious traditions. I, I, we have long lineages. Some, some folks do. Long lineages, some not. But some people, long lineages that point them in one direction. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm not even going to get into the teachings of that. I, your flesh, <laughs> who you are is of no help at all. It is, it is the spirit who gives that life what we're talking about. Oh! So some immediately rejected Jesus. Some of the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, we've seen that. They, they immediately, he comes on the scene and he's a threat to a lot of things that they believe in and that they, they teach. Then there are those that come along and there's some temporary 
uh, attraction that they have to Jesus, and we've, we've seen that, the multiplication of the loaves, some material benefit, and he's spectacular activity going on when Jesus comes along and you can expect some spectacular things They're attracted to that but when it comes down to the exclusivity of Jesus Jesus being the way the truth the life not a truth not a way. That one really, really scandalizes people. See, people are people resist Jesus. They turn away from from, from Jesus from sincerely and, and 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 confidently following Jesus because of exclusivity, as I've just mentioned. For one thing. Now, a lot of people think everyone's going to be saved anyway. Universalism. <laughs> that is not taught anywhere in the New Testament or in the Bible. Everybody is, in the end, it ain't going to matter anyway. Universalism. <laughs> Jesus offends that. And then there's, there's this fear of betrayal that will we'll betray our ancestors. We'll betray those who have gone before us that we think a lot of. And so when Jesus confronts what we're thinking, we don't like any of that. Because we know, or we think, we assume, they were thinking in a certain way. And one thing's for sure, I'm not going to betray ancestors. That happens all over the world. Problem with that one is, what if they were wrong? According to Jesus, not according to the preacher, according to the Bible. What if they were wrong? You're going to cast yourself into the judgment on their wrong decisions. So there's a fear that way. Jesus confronts that. This, this helplessness that we all have, this self-confidence that we have, that I can do something surely to, to, to make myself in right standing with God. Surely there's, there's, there's something I can do, but Jesus is teaching. And as we've looked at over the last few weeks, couple of weeks, we are helpless in the face of God. We're not helpless day-to-day -day in our day-to-day -day living, but we're not talking about our day-to-day -day living right now. We're talking about our relationship coming to God in a, a authentic, born-again, eternal life. We need God. And when Jesus says, God chooses. When the apostles say God chooses, no backing out of it, He sovereignly, unconditionally chooses. Well, that causes all sorts of angst. Causes people to turn away. Will not receive that. So Jesus is intolerable 
Jesus is intolerable today. This Jesus. John chapter 6, Jesus is intolerable. Well, Jesus reemphasizes what he had already said previously. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus is pushing on these people the idea that relationship with God is not an autonomous human decision. It involves human responsibility. We've already covered that. But it's prompted by the grace of God. God moving in a person. God, God having the glory. God having the sovereignty. God having the wonder. Makes you want to worship, doesn't it? I mean, if you come to John chapter 6 and you look at it the way we're looking at it this week, it does want, it makes you want to worship with your life. It makes you want to grow in your worship. Because think of the love and the mercy of God and what He has done in the life of a believer coming and breaking through. It's the Spirit who gives life. He said that in verse 44. 65, Matthew 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven. So, the idea of what Jesus is presenting of, of this surrender of our life to His mercy, His grace, His direction, His guidance, His power, that rubs against everything that is in human nature. Everything that is in human nature. So the true words of Jesus... Not what someone assumes that he said, but the true words of Jesus, Jesus himself, or the, those that he had appointed to write and speak on his behalf. But those, those words are spiritual, and they're used by the Spirit to bring the miracle of spiritual life. Now this is so... Powerful. Look at that verse with me. Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words, the words, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I've spoken are spirit and life. These words in this Bible are spiritual. The Holy Spirit uses these words to bring life 
in the lives of sinful human beings, fallen human beings, human beings incapable of coming to God. Jesus uses the word. So his words are life because the spirit uses it, uses it to change our heart. The words that I have spoken to you are spiritual life. It is the spirit who gives life. I kind of like the way the King James puts it. The King, King James says, I think we have at least one King James reader in here. Quickeneth. <laughs> Quickeneth. The spirit quickens. That's right. The, the spirit quickens a dead soul. A dead, as far as our relationship with God is. Now, not dead, of course, moving around the world. Quickens. Quickeneth. The Spirit moves and the Spirit gives life. How does the Spirit do that? The Spirit does that through the Word, through your words, through this Word, through your gospel literature, your gospel tracts, through preaching, through singing the Word of God. Luke 8, 11 to 15. Now, this, now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Continuing in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience or perseverance. James 1.18 Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will he brought us by the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. And you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So as difficult as some of these things are that Jesus is presenting to the crowds right, right there, they're, they're thinking, who can listen to it? Who, that's what they're saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 60, this is hard. Who can listen to it? What Jesus also says is that the Spirit moves through the Word. So your evangelistic message, your mainly gospel literature matters. Because that's where God works. He works in, in His Word. The more His Word gets in front of people, it really matters. He uses us, but He's using us to send out His Word. And you're going to have opportunities this season of the year to put that word out there so that the people are exposed to it. How God works in it is not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to get the word out there so that God moves into it. And when he moves, it might be today. It might be in 20 years. Some of us heard word long, long time ago and it took years and years and years and then finally the Holy Spirit got and that soul is quickened, as the KJV says. That's, that word means so much. It brings spiritual life, brings the miracle of spiritual life. Well, committed believers cling to the words of Jesus, not merely his miracles. Mid 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have truth. Where else will we go? You have the words of life. Now, as I said as we began, that statement from Peter was an amazing, miraculous statement, actually. In the face of what was around them religiously, well, politically, socially as well, we weren't having any of Jesus. But to, to make that kind of a statement, so very, so very bold, looking all, all around, you have those words, you have truth, meaning that other sources of truth are failing. Not, they're not like the word. You have the words of eternal life. We have we believed and have, have, have come to you. Everything in Peter's life, apart from his, his human condition, of course, everything in his life surely would have pressed him in the opposite direction. Pushed him away from what he was being presented with in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was actually seeing. Everything pushing his own sinful human nature, pushing against what Jesus was saying. It was a hard thing to listen to, what Jesus was saying. Pushing against him. And then he makes a statement like this. That's a miracle. The confession that you have made, that you have made, the confession that you have made, and you, and you, and you, is a miracle. That is a miracle. I mentioned before, a passage like John 6, pushing us, making us think about who God is and, and causing us wanting to worship more. But if we don't grasp what we've thought of if we, over these weeks, if we don't think about what Jesus is presenting and what God is presenting, what, we're liable to miss the miracle. It is a miracle for sure for someone to come to Jesus Christ, however someone might be presented in that. But when we realize, when we look at what Jesus is saying, the flesh is no help at all. That's an intolerable statement. We know that. That's an, that's an offensive statement. It's a scandalous statement. It was the first century. It is the 21st century. But, but if we could just grasp that, if we could just see it for what it is, that we're helpless, God comes in and He moves in us. And it's a miracle. You think walking on water is a miracle? Changing your heart is a miracle. As stone cold as your heart is to the things of God, Him changing your heart so that you cling to God. You love Jesus. You love His Word. You love everything about Him. A lot of 
of things that are perplexing, a lot of things to learn and to understand. We'll never know it all, that's for sure. But it's a miracle. And I think Jesus wants us to get a hold of that. It is a profound miracle that God owes no one anything. What, you think you earn eternal life? You think the preacher earns eternal life by preaching some sermons? Let me ask you this. What does God owe you for a lifetime of sinning against Him? Does He owe you anything? You think He does? A little bit? You're kind of you're really a nice person. We're not talking about your niceness to your family or your niceness to your neighbor across the street. We're talking about your niceness to God. Sinning against God, against His character, against His purposes. What do you think He owes you? And you have no, Jesus is saying, you have no inclination in and of yourselves whatever to come to the one who has eternal life so you are destined, Matthew 11, to the judgment. But then God steps in. He breaks in. He breaks in in such a way that that message of Jesus is so appealing to you. Yeah, you really do really want Jesus. You really want Jesus. And that is a miracle. And that miracle is one that people will lay their life down for. That miracle is one that causes people to live for Jesus and declare you have the words of eternal life when everyone around is saying no, 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 no. We're going to get you. We're going to get him first. We're going to silence him first. We're going to silence him first. And then we're going to silence you. But because that miracle has taken place, God promises never to let go of any that are his. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah. Very powerful. John chapter 6. Hope you take some time to go through it for yourself. It's meant a lot to me in my life. Help some, see some things about my own life. I hope the same would be for you. I hope the same would, would help you to see some things about God. Let's pray.